You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simond. I'm a game studies scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Soon, it is time for the Game Awards and thus for the nominees of Game of the Year. It's terribly exciting, isn't it? It is. Jeff Keighley is, is gaining power in his video game den. And soon he will be unleashed upon the world to tell us uh, if Elden Ring is good or not. Uh, yes, Elden Ring. <laughs> Elden Ring is certainly going to be game of the year. But you know what? Mm. Pokemon is not nominated. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. I may have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about Pokemon quite a bit on this episode. We're also going to do a spoiler section on Pokemon at the very end of the show. So don't worry if you haven't played the games or if you want to play them still and be surprised by the story, you can stick around. We'll let you know and we'll append a spoiler part after the outro of this episode. But I just briefly wanted to call upon all of you to have a chat with us about the Game Awards. Because next week, I think this is next week already, right? Game Awards? Yeah, the time is yes. marching ever onward. <laughs> Yes, December 9th is going to be time for the Game Awards and the Game of the Year is going to be awarded. Uh, now, we're going to do an episode, of course, where we talk about the Game Awards and evaluate the showcase as well as the uh, awards that have been dished out. And of course, we would like to hear your opinion up front, your vote. Which game would you like to become Game of the Year 2022? The nominees at the Game Awards for this year are the following. Stray... Xenoblade Chronicles 3, A Plague Tale Requiem, Elden Ring, Horizon Forbidden West, and God of War Ragnarok. Pretty that strong. Is a roster of, yeah, yeah. of really strong games, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I if you took Elden Ring out of that lineup, I it would be I feel like it would be a really well, if you took Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok out of that list, I yeah. feel like it would be a really difficult choice. It, it's yeah. going to be Elden Ring. Mm. If, if it if Elden Ring was not that, it would be God of War Ragnarok. If it wasn't God of War Ragnarok, then it would probably be Stray. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I think, all right, so we can just hear it. Yeah, everybody knows. <laughs> yes, exactly. For, for any kind of scenario, we've always got the right answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, please let us know who you think, which game is going to be game of the year and why. You can reach out to us by going to studyingpixels.com slash contact. Of course, I also want to say just briefly, thank you so very much to all of you that are diligently listening to this show because we've got our Spotify wrapped. You know how people get the, at the end of, at the end of the year, they get like a Spotify wrapped thing where it shows them what kind of music they listen to and stuff. We as podcasters, we get that as well, where we get like a neat representation of the statistics that we have achieved throughout this year. And some of them, they made me really happy to see. Pretty cool. Just as an example, it says here, your podcast loves to travel. It was heard in 28 countries. And our top five countries where we've got the most listeners are in that order, Germany, the United States, Brazil, Austria, and the United Kingdom. Very cool. And bringing up number six, Liechtenstein. Hey, Liechtenstein. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
to everyone out there in Liechtenstein. <laughs> Liechtenstein, as we would say in German. Oh, oh, excuse me. <laughs> we also have a we have a growth of a listener growth. Spotify showed me of nine hundred ninety nine percent. So <laughs> <laughs> quite a growth spurt. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, you know, I think, uh, frankly, I think we can do better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could have tried a little harder. Yeah, we couldn't just round it up to a thousand percent. I think then it would just like the writing would go out of the frame if it was that's right, yeah. four digits. It can't be displayed anymore. <laughs> uh, that's very cool, though. And I, I, I was also very pleased when you tweeted about that. That's very cool to see. You know, actually, just a couple of days ago, I received an email from one of these companies that evaluate podcasts and give you statistics. Oh, cool! And they they told us that we are uh, amongst the top five video game podcasts in Norway, I think. Oh, well. Yes, I wish I knew. I wish I knew some, uh, some Norwegian. Yes, <laughs> yeah. we're famous in Norway, Well, apparently. thank you very much, Norway. Hats <laughs> out to you. Yes, this one goes out to Norway. <laughs> <laughs> and if you like this show and you want to help us make it happen, then you also know that you can do that by going to studyingpixels.com slash plus, where you can get monthly plus episodes that are sometimes in-depth dives into video game culture. Other times they can actually help you study. You get all of our episodes ad-free and of course a lovely sticker that says I am studying pixels. If you want to find out more about that then you can go to studyingpixels.com slash plus to find out more. 
different here because they do change things up a little bit from time to time. And this is, this is an example of it being a little bit different in a cool way. So I'll get into that. But yes, I did play both of them and I'm currently completing the Pokedex on them. So I've put a lot of time into them. Do you have a version where you would say that appealed to you more out of the two? Violet. I, I enjoyed Violet more because it's the future-themed one, and I felt like the themes worked a little bit better in it. I also, uh, and we'll get into this, um, I had a, a better technical experience with Violet. I don't know. Oh, really? Yes. I don't know if there's any accounting for that, uh, if that's just maybe a bias that I had after playing Scarlet and being disgusted by the technical issues <laughs> um but it definitely felt like it had a little more polish so i would say if you're going to play one of them my early recommendation would be go for violet okay well that's actually very valuable because i had i was leaning towards scarlet mm. um haven't played it yet but it was the one that intuitively seemed more appealing to me because mm. this uh, theme of you know history of the past it seemed a bit more engaging, yet I assume that it's not something that is, you know, significant to the entire game. It doesn't change the entire game. Right. And I I believe you when you say the future theme is a little bit more uh, consistent. It, it, it's it, That's a really interesting observation because I do think that the the history in the past actually, that has more of a presence in both games. There's There's more talk about the region's history and Pokemon's history that appeals in both of them. So in a way, the the past storyline does kind of fall into that. But I think that the there's some differences, and the future one is a little more interesting to me. <laughs> but I think if that that's my recommendation, I think they're both. Uh, I'll get this out of the way, right? I'm going to talk about my first impressions with all the technical issues that have been blowing up online, which are very valid issues. Um, but I will say, uh, my tagline for this is that it is some of the worst technical issues I've ever encountered, but it's also the most fun I've had with a Pokemon game. And that means a lot yes. because we've seen from last year, I remember we spoke about Pokemon Legends Arceus mm. and, uh, I remember that we did an, a whole episode on that. We can link it in the show notes. And we more or less said, if I recall correctly, that it's a really important step forward for the Pokemon series, yet it is not quite there yet. It's like, it tries out new concepts, a little bit more or an organic flow of, of battle that is naturally integrated into, a, let's say, not entirely open world, but like hub worlds. Yeah. And it seemed like Pokemon Scarlet and Violet would now hopefully make true on the promises that... Uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus made last year. And I would say it largely does because that's actually something that I forgot about. Yeah, Arceus has sort of a hub world to it where you only... It you, does, yeah. You can only be in one section of the map at a time. Uh, Scarlet and Violet takes it a step further. Once you're out in the world, you can go anywhere, which is very refreshing. Um, it definitely feels like, and no pun intended, an evolution for Pokemon from Arceus. But... I want to talk about sort of the <laughs> the first impressions I had and call back to another episode we did, which was about our, when, when the trailers came out for this, we were thinking, wow, what a cool opportunity. They're theming the games around past and future. So this can be sort of a commentary on the past and future of Pokemon. It, it is and it isn't. 
but uh, we can we can talk about that. Largely, though, my first impressions: the future of Pokemon is definitely open world. There's a lot of effort put into making this world very explorable. Um, I think that it, this feels more like a Breath of the Wild than Arceus did, for sure, which I think is sort of the selling point of uh, these new Pokemon games. Um, the other thing I want to point out is that it's not just one storyline. It's multiple converging stories, which is really cool for a Pokemon game. And they converge very well at the end. Um, so in terms of the future, I hope that we see more of both of those elements because they worked out really well. In terms of the past, the, <laughs> the, the past of Pokemon is haunting it because there are so many glitches and technical issues that it uh, it feels like you're playing a game from 2014 that was released on Steam and it just it was so bad Stefan that I very nearly didn't follow through with playing the game it was oh that's a tough statement considering yeah. that you you I know you as someone who's usually rather committed to playing through games and can over can go through, fight their way through some technical obstacles should they arise. Usually I can, and usually usually I don't play games that are so broken <laughs> that they impede yeah. my progress. And I'm not, okay, I don't want to be too harsh, because it's not that. It's just, I think you and I have talked about this before. Uh, at, at a certain point, we blame the Switch, where we say, okay, the, the hardware is not where it should be. This is not a Switch problem. This is a Pokemon problem. There are... Uh, I'm just going to go through a list here. It's it's taking a lot of the worst things from Arceus and turning them up to 11. There is terrible frame rate issues to the point where um, there, there are some scenes that play where characters in the background are moving like stop-motion characters where they only have like two frames of animation and it is so jarring. You're clipping through the world at every possible opportunity. You're falling through the world. Um, different uh, animations will play when you're in a in a battle scene. So <laughs> there will be situations where you're in this incredibly intense battle with a cool character, and like a Psyduck just walks through <laughs> the screen. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, the camera angles are really something else because it's. In a way, I, it's it's impressive because all the Pokemon are different sizes, right? Every Pokemon is... A Snorlax is bigger than a Ditto. So if you fight with a large Pokemon, it doesn't... The, the camera doesn't know how to put it in frame. <laughs> and so you're seeing like half of it and you're clipping through it with the camera and it, you have to rearrange the camera angle so that you can actually see what's happening on the battlefield, which in a Pokemon game isn't so bad because it's turn-based, but it's still frustrating. So it, at every turn, there's just something else happening where you're like, this is embarrassing. Can we briefly explore these technical issues and just ponder for a second, why? Why is it like this? Because the thing is that Pokemon, mm. okay, fair enough. In uh, Since Arceus, at least, they had quite some technical issues. The previous games, like 
uh, Sword and Shield were also way less ambitious from a technical standpoint. Yes. They were largely linear games. They had like small areas and stuff. So okay, fair enough. It was never the mo- it was not never the most like technical prowess that was on display in recent years. But with Arceus, you could clearly see that they are struggling to keep up with this idea of the open world. Now, uh, they've got some experience with that. They go into Scarlet and Violet. Nintendo has usually a quite rigid uh, system of quality assurance. So I'm sure that they that they play this. This is not an oversight. This is not like a whoops. <laughs> we didn't know that it was like that, you know? Yeah, I, I think that... I feel like Japanese companies don't have as much press about this as western companies do but i think it's down to crunch because rcs you said it earlier rcs came out last year so i don't know how i don't know how much in tandem development they're doing on projects but to me it feels like they go from one to another and they just pump them out and the problem with that is that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet is very ambitious compared to Arceus and Sword and Shield. And it it nails a lot of what it's going for. But I wish, and I think a lot of Pokemon fans wish, that this had come out in like 2024 or 2025. Because it would have so benefited from that polish. And I think it really could have been the best Pokemon game if they had put more time into it and allowed some of these issues to be steamed out. And it, it just, it's so clear that this was rushed a little bit. Yeah, totally. Because even if you work on a, a console with limited hardware, mm. such as the Nintendo Switch, then you have to take special care to put in the extra effort to make it look nice and at the same time run smoothly. And arguably, games like the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild have very much accomplished that with a huge open world, um, even Monster Hunter games oh, yeah. um, on, on the Switch. And they are not the prettiest games in the world, but they make do and uh, they run fine. And so I can I would also emphasize the annual release schedule is ultimately, in my opinion, going to strangle Pokemon. Yeah. Um, because the thing is that they are successful. They don't really have that much of that much of a necessity to put in the extra work, to go the extra mile to make it run smoothly if they know the game's going to be successful anyway. Yeah. They'll, as they said already, Nintendo has already tweeted about this and made a statement. Sure, they're going to fix some issues. They're going to do some damage control. It's never going to be like a smooth and technically impressive experience, but it's going to run a little bit better so that the main complaints are maybe gone. Uh, And then they're going to jolly move on to the next game. And I just wish, as someone who cared about Pokemon for a long time, I wish that they would take the time and dedication to making these games that they expect of me to put in when Mm. playing them, you know? I totally agree. And I think that you're so right. It doesn't matter when a Pokemon game comes out. There's going to be an audience for it. No one's... I mean, obviously, I would love to have a Pokemon game every year, but I would much more love to have a polished, finished Pokemon game every three years <laughs> or however oh, yeah. long it takes. Yeah, So yeah. where's the rush coming from? We've seen it with uh, Call of Duty. We've seen mm-hmm. how um, the annual release schedule slowly can, you know, decrease the quality of a video game. 
Um, and this inevitably is going to happen to Pokemon when people such as myself are already saying, um, well, you know, I'm not at least I'm going to hold off on this one. Maybe I'm not going to play it at all. Mm. Uh, rather wait for next year's Pokemon game where maybe it's pretty much the same except for it may run a little bit better. Well, and it's funny because I I felt like Sword and Shield and I there was a there was a bit of a gap between Ultra Sun and Moon and Sword and Shield. And that it went from the 3DS to the Switch. And that to me, and I think we both, I know we both had really pleasurable experiences with Sword and Shield. I still yeah. think it's actually kind of the best one, <laughs> which I know people will scream about. But I really think that in terms of cohesion, that one looks so good and everything works for it. Whereas, you know, they, they it feels like they put the time into it and they really thought about it. And... Scarlet and Violet has a lot of incredible ideas, as I mentioned, which I'll get into because I'm very passionate about them. Uh, I just wish that they had been given more time of day to be in a game that wasn't um, having me fall through the world. <laughs> Are there any like game-breaking issues, things where you said specific glitches or bugs where you said, okay, that's it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit for tonight? No, I will say, to its credit, nothing stopped me in my tracks. So that's, I, I'm, I don't know if there are glitches like that. I haven't seen any, but no, nothing that has, um, caused me to have to do a hard reset on my switch or anything like that. Yeah. So it won't break my switch. No, <laughs> not as far as I know, <laughs> but I, and, and in a way too, I should mention some of the glitches are fun because, and Pokemon has always had glitches. We, we've talked about Missing No, one of the famous glitches. We did. Um, yes. So some of the glitches here, the uh, the legendary Pokemon for these games, Koraidon and Miraidon, uh, you use them as sort of vehicles. And you can brute force your way into uh, exploring areas the game doesn't want you to because it's not put together so well so that was really fun <laughs> kind of breaking the world in that sense climbing mountains you maybe shouldn't at that point you know things like that so that kind of brings us to the subject of the open world right yes which is probably also that one of the, the biggest innovations in um pokemon scarlet and violet that you have a fully fleshed open world and that you can explore technically in any order although from what i can gather what you said just now um it is gated in certain ways which is perfectly fine. Every open world game is gated in some way because yeah. it wouldn't make any sense if you just <laughs> run. And you, I mean, Breath of the Wild also has its, uh, you know, it's it's gating that they that they introduce to keep you in a certain area for the beginning. That's a really good point because the, I would say that it is gated, but only by your skill level, realistically. Yeah, and that's a good way to do the gating in an open world, uh, compared to what I've heard of Sonic Frontiers. <laughs> a la Video Game Donkey's video, which is just, you can't go here yet. Uh, that's really frustrating. That doesn't happen in Pokemon. It, what, what does happen is, so the way that you traverse through the world with Koridon or Miraidon, depending on which version you have, uh, that Pokemon is, if you remember in Arceus, there were about five or six different special Pokemon that allowed you to, to traverse the world. So you could dash, you could climb, you could swim, you could uh, glide, and you could jump really high. So Koridon, uh, for example, they both work this way. I'm just going to use one of them, though. Koridon 
you can unlock those abilities so that you don't have to switch through those special Pokemon. He just gets all of those abilities as the game goes on. So if there's an area that you could see that's maybe uh, set aside by a huge river that you can't jump over and you can't swim across, once you get the swim ability, now you can go to that area. And the way that you get that swim ability is by beating a really tough boss. So it definitely does a good job of ex of balancing exploration and skill where you really can play how you want, but it doesn't funnel you into how to get to different places. There's a lot of really cool options for you, which I think is impressive. I've just got a brief question because you mentioned uh, Koraidon and Miraidon mm. and the way they, they work. I know that their designs are contested because they're basically dragon motorcycles, <laughs> you could say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever like feel a bond with them? Because the thing is that with Pokemon, obviously it all depends on you know bonding with the actual creatures. And uh, with these kind of, uh, what is it, like a legendary Pokemon or yeah. the... The, the front page magazine Pokemon yes. that's on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to me, it's kind of always significant, like what kind of role do they play in the story and to which degree can I, uh, yeah, have a bond with them. And it sounds promising that instead of having all, ki all kinds of techniques all over the place, yeah. that you've got one Pokemon that you gradually expand their powers and thus also increase their bond with them. Definitely a bond and a story important one. So I can actually, that's a great segue into what is this game about? <laughs> and so depending on which version you play, you'll either get Koraidon or Miraidon. Um, and the way that you meet them, the game actually starts with this Pokemon flying through the air and you can tell that it's escaping something. It's trying to get away and it crash lands on a beach near where you, where you live. So as you're starting your Pokemon journey, you hear it crying out and you go down and you see it and it's kind of injured and you give it a sandwich. <laughs> and when you give it a sandwich, it trusts you. And so then it bonds to you. And throughout the game, you get closer with this thing. You discover mysteries about it, sort of where it came from. One of the cool things that ties into the past future stuff is that Koridon and Miraidon look like Everybody keeps commenting on how it looks like a modern Pokemon called a Cyclozar, which is a dragon motorcycle, basically. But they look different, and you eventually come to find out this is because they are past or future versions of that thing. So they come from a distant time, and they're displaced in the present. And you start to learn about this thing as you learn more about the world and about this mystery of Paldea, which is the region that you're in. You know, what I find particularly interesting about this way of finding an injured Pokemon, offering it a sandwich, bonding with it slowly over time, mm. that really resonates with the original theme in Pokemon, at least in the anime. Uh, it was yeah. all about Ash and Pikachu bonding, uh, kind of having an adversarial relationship at the beginning and then getting closer with one another. Ash discovering the workings of Pikachu, kind mm -hmm. of, and alongside it, the workings of the world of Pokemon. It seems like that's an interesting way because we 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 mentioned how it combines past elements and future elements of Pokemon. It seems like that's one of the very traditional elements that it reinvigorates for a contemporary generation. Absolutely. And I also, there's something about the meeting when compared to 
So I want to compare this to Sword and Shield because it's an apt comparison. In Sword and Shield, the way that you become special is you just happen to see a shooting star. <laughs> That's basically it, right? And there's a lot of nepotism in Sword and Shield where you're sponsored by the champion to go on your journey. So it's a lot of happenstance and luck. Likewise, in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, there's an element of luck where your character stumbles upon this damaged or this injured Pokemon. But the difference and what makes it so much more compelling to me and what sets the stage for what I think Scarlet and Violet is ultimately about is that it's kindness that puts you on your journey. You saved this Pokemon. You helped it when you didn't need to. And that sets the stage for what's important in Paldea, which is uh, ultimately the core mechanic of the story, which is the treasure hunt at the big academy. So you go to this school and it's kind of the center of the world where all of these people come and learn about Pokemon. And every year there's an event called the treasure hunt where they turn you loose into the world and you get to decide what's most important to you, which is a really interesting setup for a Pokemon game because most of Pokemon games, all of Pokemon games are be the very best that no one ever was, <laughs> right? And this game comes along and says, well, maybe that's not what you want to do. Maybe you want to help uh, Arvin, one of the characters, find uh, ingredients for sandwiches. <laughs> maybe you want... And I do. And you do. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> maybe you, <laughs> you want to take down the team of this game, Team Star, these delinquent students who have uh, run away from the academy and set up these bases all over the, the region. Um, and un unravel their mystery, right? Or maybe you do want to go the standard route and become the champion, like your rival, Nimona, who is already a champion, who has very strong feelings about you becoming a champion so she can have a rival. <laughs> so, so that she can fight with you, basically. It's the best, Stefan. So uh, there's, <laughs> there's, all of these, there's all of these jokes about her being like Goku <laughs> from Dragon Ball Z, and it's so apt because... Her introduction is basically, wow, a new kid. I hope that you're good at Pokemon battling so that we can be rivals. And it's not coming from a place of, uh, you know, like Blue from the originals where he kind of hates you. It's not, yeah, it's not a place of vitriol. No, no. It's not like Hop from Sword and Shield where it's just kind of, again, happenstance. She is so excited to have somebody that can rival her. And when she, when you battle her for the first time and you beat her which is sort of generally what happens in these games. She gets so happy because she says, oh, someone who can stand up to me. All right, great. We're going to, I'm going to, she's already a champion. And what she decides to do is run the gym circuit with you again so that she can level up her Pokemon in tandem with you so that it feels like a real rivalry. That's pretty much exactly the kind of feeling that I often had when I played Pokemon with friends. Yeah. Way back in the day. Where, of course, you you had no interest of holding someone else back. Instead, you wanted to you wanted to battle with them. You wanted to train Pokemon, exchange Pokemon with them. So it's in your interest that everyone else gets ahead as well. Yes. And in a way that, again, I think speaks to the broader point of the game, which is, I'll, I'll say it now. I was going to wrap up with it, but I think it's important to say now that we're on the topic. The theme of... Scarlet and Violet, to me, is 
the question of how do I achieve my dream without harming anyone else? How do I become the best person I can be without putting anybody behind me? And I think that's a really mature idea for a Pokemon game because usually, again, Sword and Shield, poor Hop. Hop's whole story is realizing he's not the main character of a Pokemon game. Yeah. And and it's sad. <laughs> Eventually he goes on this track of becoming a professor, which is good for him. But you get the sense that, yeah, he kind of fell into that and he liked it, but maybe that wasn't his dream. Maybe he wanted to be champion and you can't. he can't be that in Sword and Shield. Scarlet and Violet comes along and says, no, there's multiple champions. Champion just means you beat the Elite Four. So Nimona, your rival, is a champion. And she says, if you get to be a champion, then we can really fight on equal terms. And it just feels more mature for a Pokemon game to me, where you can still be the best, but without hurting anybody. Yeah, you can still be the best, but also it kind of deviates a little bit from this um, extremely competitive um, neoliberal imperative. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you being the best does not necessarily mean that there can be no other people who are also the best. I guess this also integrates with the multiplayer that we're going to address later, I assume. But yep. uh, uh, first of all, one thing that I wanted to ask, because you just mentioned that there are now three storylines. That's what they announced ahead already. It's like it's not like you're going through one storyline, but you've got three separate storylines. Uh, and did you feel like that's a, that was a good choice to make, to break it up into three uh, storylines that you can freely explore? Yes, because they they tailor them very well. And they all, as I mentioned, they all converge on the end, which we'll talk about in spoilers. But there's three, there's three stories. There's the Victory Road, which is the typical go get gym badges and become the champion. And your rival for that is Nimona, as I mentioned. Then there's the uh, Path of the Titans, which is a story with, uh, I think, the best written Pokemon character ever, Arvin, who is the son of the professor of the game. He's kind of the estranged son who actually used to have Koridon or Miraidon, but he gave him he gave it up because he hates it. It ruined his childhood because the professor was obsessed with it. So he comes off as prickly at the beginning, but eventually you come to realize that what he's doing to uh, these this path of the Titans to get these mystical ingredients for food, he's trying to heal his Pokemon, his dog. And you, you realize that this dog was kind of the only friend that he had, and he's desperate to make him well again. And that's his story. And the third one is Starfall Street, which I mentioned Team Star is the sort of, I say antagonistic force, it's not really. It's, like Team Rocket? Yeah, kind of, but they're not terrorists. <laughs> so Team Star is, they're delinquent students at the academy who have set up these bases across the world. And you get a, a message from somebody who calls themselves Cassiopeia, who says, I need you to take these people down. So you go and you go across the world and you fight these uh, different bosses. No one else is going to make this comparison, but I, because of the music in it, <laughs> the star, the team star music, it felt like lollipop chainsaw to me <laughs> in that, all of these bosses are very stylized and very full of character. And it's like a boss gauntlet that you go through. And once you defeat all of them, that storyline 
sort of wraps up with who Cassiopeia is and why they want to take down Team Star in the first place. Uh, really smart, compelling storylines where I would say the Victory Road one is all about rivalry. The Path of the Titans one is about abuse and about overcoming trauma in a very subtle way. And Starfall Street is about bullying and what it means to form a collective. Really interesting topics for a Pokemon game to tackle, but they feel very natural because, again, the audience is children. <laughs> and it really... I, I pictured myself as a kid playing this game and getting a lot of personal meaning out of it. I'm actually quite impressed by you exploring these, uh, the nuances and the themes of these stories. That's something that, well, I hadn't uh, heard much talk about this. And I guess that's why we're here doing this as studying pixels as well. Um, because, yeah, of course, the technical issues are, are one matter, one part of the, one side of the coin. Um, and we also know that there are lots of other sides to it that make it very appealing. But at least the intricacy with which it engages with its theming, that's something that I did not have on my radar at all. I was really hopeful about it. And I think that what kept me on board, despite the technical issues, was I could see the seeds being planted for that. And when I continued along with it, I was really glad that I stuck with it. Shall we take a brief break here? Let's do it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
And we are back with our review on Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Yes, and what would a Pokemon discussion be without talking about the Pokemon? <laughs> Indeed. I have been waiting for this all this time. I thought there were no new Pokemon. Oh, no, there's... Uh, <laughs> I don't, well, there's not... It's interesting, because again, one of, the, one of the factors of a yearly release is they do fewer new Pokemon, I think. So I think, I think roughly there's probably 50 to 75, which is a lot, but, um, you know... I was about to say, that's still enough for me to start wrapping my head around. I haven't even <laughs> wrapped my head around any of the Pokemon that came after the first generation, so... Yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, it's always fun going in blind and not knowing what, what to expect, uh, because there's so many that just pop up. And what's really fun too, is that I have an encyclopedic knowledge of probably the first 250, but after that it's a blur. So when I see a Pokemon on the, on the open world, which is one of the most fun things to do, you start saying to yourself, do I know this one? And usually the answer for me is, nope, I'm, I'm going to catch it and see what it is. And yeah, that's kind of the organic experience that any diegetic player would also have any diegetic yeah. character would have when encountering a new pokemon it's a cool mix of oh i've never seen that before and oh my god that's oh hey i'm gonna catch that right the first time uh for example i saw a uh, meryl which is one of my favorite pokemon a little uh for people who are very old used to be called peekaboo before we knew what its name was um and when i saw that i got very excited and caught it immediately and the cool thing is scarlet and violet allows for that to happen because unlike Arceus, which as you mentioned, kind of uh, corners you into a particular area of the world, Paldea, the region that you're inhabiting in this game, is completely open. And so you can explore these different areas and see all these different Pokemon milling around and walking with different, you know, like packs of them. And um, you see Pokemon of different sizes and, and different... Uh, uh, different types and all of this kind of great ex explorative um, impetus for just going out and finding all of them. And one of the things that I want to mention is that it does what Sword and Shield did, which is it cuts the Pokedex, which I think is smart because there's a million Pokemon now. And if they were all in it, I wouldn't even try to complete the Pokedex. Yeah, and there's some people who are super angry about it whenever it happens, whenever they cut the Pokedex down a little bit. But the fact of the matter is um, that would be so much balancing that yeah. would be necessary to accommodate hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Pokemon. And it would mean all of these types, and then there's so much redundance. That's the problem that I always had with Pokemon, with newer Pokemon games, that you go around and you catch so many Pokemon and you don't even get to try them. You don't even get yeah. to interact with them in any meaningful way. You just stuff them in your Pokemon box so that Pokedex is completed and you never look at them again, which is kind of sad. I mean, why am I catching these creatures? I'm just taking them out of their wilderness, uh, taking their freedom away, stuffing them in a box just to collect. It's kind of sad. It is. <laughs> it's it's like that commercial from the 90s where the bus driver put them all into his Game Boy. You know, it's, it's just this, <laughs> it's a, it is sad. And I think, as you mentioned before, Stefan, a big part of Pokemon is bonding with your Pokemon. And what I like about the reduced Pokedex is that, one, as you say, it's much more balanced. And it, it encourages you to not stick to the same Pokemon. Because if you've played Pokemon for 20 years, there's a shorthand list of Pokemon that you want to get because they're top tier, right? What cutting it in half does 
is it makes different Pokemon viable. So you may not have tried, like, for example, I love Meryl and Azumarill. Uh, I like how they look, but I've never used them before. Let me tell you what, I've made the, I, I have made an invincible Azumarill because of the way that this game is set up. Something I never would have done before because I never would have explored it. I would have gone to the staples, you know, like Dragonite and these old super powerful Pokemon. So that's one thing it does very well is that it makes the metagame of Pokemon, which used to be so esoteric and cryptic, it makes it very accessible. It doesn't ask a lot of your time to get Pokemon to this incredibly powerful state. And it allows you to experiment with different kinds of teams, which for an open world game is really important. Did you feel like there is a sufficient degree of variety in the new generation of Pokemon? Because I know that the uh, Pokemon generations, they always pride themselves on ranging through all the types, but also ranging from um, very cute to very silly to very over the top yeah. to kind of charming. Like it always, they always have a broad spectrum of Pokemon and traditionally there are always a couple ones that everyone agrees they are terrible and a couple <laughs> ones where everyone agrees they are absolutely lovely. I think that's the same here. Yeah. I haven't, yeah. I haven't looked into the discourse too much about Pokemon, although I do want to give a few special shout outs because uh, there's always meme Pokemon that show up. So my two favorites are Tatsugiri and Dondozo. Tatsugiri is a living sushi roll and <laughs> Dondozo is a big whale that serves the sushi roll, basically. But that's something that, that surprises me a little bit because I, I get it, of course. I mean, Pokemon is also, it's a Japanese game, so it makes perfect sense to uh, put a, a sushi Pokemon in yeah. there. But at the same time, Paldea, the world that you described, uh, as we mentioned in our episode when we spoke about the announcement, is strongly inspired by Spanish culture. In theory, Stefan. <laughs> in, in theory. In theory. <laughs> that's actually one of my biggest issues with it. So it is a beautiful open world that is so accessible. There's a lot of cool Pokemon. All the new Pokemon are really fun. I don't, I don't really think there's a dud out there. Um, I will say that, the, so my fiance Maddie is playing it as well. Uh, she is my, uh, cute register. And so she says that there are way more cute Pokemon in this one than there were in the other ones. So mm. very, very good new additions. But if the idea is that Paldea is Spain, I don't get the sense from the game that that's true. <laughs> so the starter Pokemon, um, Sprigatito, Fuecoco, and Quaxley are all very Spain, uh, very, very Spanish, I would say. Their evolutions turn into very Spanish things. Um, but... Apart from the names of places like Artathon and Cortondo and places like this, it's it doesn't feel like Spain. It there's uh, Spanish influence, of course, but then there's also French things, there's English things, German things, Italian, American, Chinese is actually one of the most compelling parts of it, and then of course Japanese. So it, it feels. I almost wish they had just said this doesn't have a theme and it's just open world because that's kind of what it feels like. 
It might be that this is a step in a direction of Pokemon abandoning the consistency of committing to some kind of theme and instead just going full eclecticism, where yep. they're just like, we'll, we'll just take from whatever culture, uh, culture from whatever history, uh, we'll just take what we find interesting and integrate it into the world of Pokemon. I think that would also be perfectly legitimate. You don't have to commit to one. And I think that honestly, it it did more to take me out of it because I was, I was always looking for the Spanish influence. And apart from the names of characters, that's not even true. Like I, <laughs> Nimona, I suppose is, is Spanish, but other characters like director Clavel and Penny. And, um, I guess the champion is Gita, which is, I suppose, uh, gearing towards that. But you know, hassle. There's these names that it's it's not really like it doesn't feel like a Spanish uh culture game, really. And I guess that's not really the point of Pokemon. But I will say, compared to say Sword and Shield, Sword and Shield felt very UK the entire yes. way through, right? I think you'd agree with me there. Oh bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody everybody felt like, you know, different versions of English, like I'm thinking of uh, Marnie and her older brother, the gym leader, who was like a, a Sex Pistols punk rocker, basically. <laughs> you know, I, that there doesn't there doesn't feel like that much in this game. Which, as you said, maybe the next step is just be eclectic. I think it works. Uh, Pokemon is a global franchise. Just let it be whatever it is. It doesn't have to have a theme like that. I was a bit surprised, though, when you said that the open world um, is is beautiful and that it invites exploration. I understand, but from everything I've seen so far, the open world to me looked pretty dire. <laughs> like it didn't look at all. I've I've watched gameplay videos, and of course, I've also watched review videos. It seemed to me like, wow, this is really. Uh, bare lands of you know just here and there's a pokemon copy pasted somewhere you know what it is because that's fair it's i think if you look at the if you look at the world from some of the vistas like if you climb a mountain it's really cool looking but there's not a whole lot of intriguing architecture <laughs> or uh really outstanding areas like there's no mysterious cave or anything like that well okay there is one, the main one. <laughs> There's one in the entire game. There, well, one interest, <laughs> one very interesting area, and I'll, I'll get into that in the spoiler section. But they're okay. all, they're all. I'll, I'll tease it here. There's the world is split up into different um, areas, so it's like Western Province Area One. So Area Zero, the mysterious Area Zero, is very cool, but it feels like all the time went into that. I think the Pokemon are doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Where if you go to a beach, you see a Gyarados just swimming around or, you know, you see other Pokemon in the sand and you think, oh, cool. This is a water Pokemon habitat. I think you're right. They are bland. The Pokemon do a lot of the scene filling for you. <laughs> yeah. I just, maybe it is also, uh, it is a Pokemon game after all. It's all about Pokemon and it's, um, it, it would be surprising if they had, you know, like vibrant villages that you would visit where you would speak to all of the people around and stuff like that. Um, that's just kind of, that's kind of what I wish it was, but well, I guess it's not part of the Pokemon formula. No, I, I will say that um, the the open world, like the, the fields and the mountains and things, those are pretty bland. The cities are pretty interesting. 
Uh, for example, um, I mentioned Artavon, um, which is the art uh, city. And the gym leader there is a man named Brasius, who to me, I think is strongly taking from Picasso because he's kind of like an insane artist and he's really fun. And there's a bunch of cool art all over the place. Um, there's another place called Alfernada, which has these really cool um, sort of, they, I think, I'm sure that this exists in Spain, but for me living in Texas, it felt more um, Central American where they had like these tile artworks that were the old sprites of different Pokemon types all around, which was very cool. Um, so the cities feel very curated and the people there you can talk to, you can go to restaurants, you can go to clothes shops. Um, but once you go outside the cities, it is kind of like no man's land a little bit apart from the Pokemon. So the next thing that I would like to talk about is the music, because when it comes to music and Pokemon, I have very high standards. I have... Yeah, the Pokemon music was always great. Always. Always great. I have a lot of nostalgia around Pokemon Red and Blue. Um, I can... You can name a theme and I can start humming to it. So I always listen to the, the music very thoroughly. I get excited for it. And I will say that uh, I've seen some discussion about the music in this game that it is the best of the series, I wholeheartedly disagree. I think Sword and Shield has the best cohesive um, OST. However, it is very good. It's, uh, to use your word again, Stefan, it's eclectic. There's a lot of different styles. Um, there's a really great leitmotif that uh, Toby Fox apparently worked on and uh, helped the Pokemon team develop. That they then yeah, Toby Fox on. has he, Toby Fox contributed quite some music to the recent Pokemon games, right? Yeah, it started with. So my understanding I is think that, the Sword and Shield, right? Yes, he did um, the Battle Tower theme, which, if you listen to it, is so Toby Fox, it's not even funny. And um, then through that was, I'm not sure how that came about, but through that he started working with Game Freak on their game Little Town Hero. He did all the music for that, and then. They've had him do music for Pokemon since, and he did a lot of it for Scarlet and Violet. I don't know how much of it he actually composed. Um, he did tweet that he said he basically came up with some melodies and leitmotifs, and then they riffed on them, which is a lot of the work anyway, I would say. <laughs> so uh, really, really good that it grows on you. It flows really well when you go from the field to a battle. The music changes very naturally. Um, all the characters have their own themes, which are really fun, and they fit their personality really perfectly. Uh, and I will say that, again, that Area Zero music, um, I was going to save this till spoilers, but this, is, this isn't really a spoiler. It's just something that I think is really funny. As soon as you get to Area Zero, the game becomes Nier Automata. <laughs> It becomes near Automata. Yeah, and I'll talk more about that in our spoiler section. But that's a big hook for the spoiler section. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's near Automata by way of Toby Fox. So if you're interested in that, stick around. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. sheesh. So now I'm getting nervous. The, the music is great there. Uh, the final boss music is fantastic. I will say another glitch happened. So <laughs> I didn't know this was a glitch until I saw it on Twitter. 
<laughs> so in any Pokemon game, one looks forward to the Elite Four theme and the champion music, because that's usually some of the best music. I got to the Elite Four, and every battle was uh, <laughs> was backed by a track that was just five seconds of repeated doo-doo-doo-doo, just that, over and over again, the entire cool. time. And I was so, I was reading tweets with people saying that <laughs> it's the best music. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and come to yeah. find out, one of the glitches is, <laughs> there's a glitch when you start the Elite Four where the battle music just loops the intro endlessly. So if you look up the music, it is incredible music, <laughs> but you don't hear it if you get this glitch, which I did. <laughs> so that was a big point against Pokemon Scarlet and Violet for me. <laughs> Maybe they still had to, at the beginning when the game came out, they only had composed the first couple of seconds and then they were like, oh, damn it, we still have to compose the rest of the song. <laughs> put it out, put it <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll patch it in. <laughs> no, one, no one but Dan Hughes will get to the Elite Four in the second day it's released. <laughs> I still got an important question. Yeah. Uh, we haven't mentioned multiplayer yet, and I know that one of the central features that is has been advertised about Scarlet and Violet is that you can play with, I think, up to four people in total and yeah. explore the open world. Very, very cool. And I've done it, uh, I've done it a fair amount, actually, more than I was expecting that I would. Because, yeah, you can team up with three other people and explore the open world and catch Pokemon together and battle things and... I think where, uh, oh, there's also ways that you can evolve certain Pokemon by doing that, by uh, having multiplayer interactions, certain Pokemon will evolve in that situation. So that's cool, and it incentivizes doing it. I think where I've spent most of my time in multiplayer, if you remember Stefan from Sword and Shield, there were the Gigantamax raids. Oh, yes. Whether you fight these gigantic Pokemon that have like some special attributes. Yes. So in, in this game, the gimmick is terrestrialization, uh, which is the hardest word to say. And uh, it's also not super intriguing as a gimmick for me. I can see how it definitely is for crazy metagame Pokemon people, because what it does is it changes the Pokemon's type. So if you have a fire Pokemon, you can terrestrialize it into a water Pokemon, which is kind of neat. And you can basically, if you have a fire Pokemon and someone uh, comes at you then with what, like a... Like a water Pokemon. Electric or whatever. Yeah, yeah. like a water Pokemon. So you can change the type and then you're basically on equal grounds or something. Yeah. Oh, you, I guess there, there are many scenarios in which it would even be a little bit more advantageous. So you can exploit uh, another trainer's weaknesses in their yeah. deck basically yeah or like if you have if your main pokemon is one type and you know your your opponent has the type that you're weak against you can terrestrialize your pokemon to the type that it's it's now strong against right so it, it kind of turns the tides in a cool way yeah the, yep. the rock paper scissors play yes but uh, the thing is that uh, is that something that you can do just like liberally can i just at the press of a button switch the type switch into that terrestrialized form yeah so it depends on what you're doing so in the main in the main game you can do it once per battle uh but you can it, it's sort of like uh in x and y and then omega ruby and alpha sapphire um mega evolution 
where you can activate it for one Pokemon and it lasts as long as that Pokemon is alive in the fight. Um, compared to Gigantamax, which was three turns as the Giganto Pokemon. Um, so that's in the normal game. In these raids where the multiplayer takes place, uh, the lead of the raid, which is the person who initiates it, they can terrestrialize, and that lasts until that Pokemon gets knocked out and then you can't use it anymore. So there is some strategy to it and uh, you can't use it on every Pokemon in your party. You have to choose which one during a battle. So um, in keeping with... Uh, the game kind of teaches you how they feel like it should be used by showing you what gym leaders do, which is their last Pokemon is the one that they go all out with, similar to Sword and Shield. So it's, uh, it's a cool mechanic that I think, depending on who you randomly play with, uh, it's cool to see like what people gravitate towards. If they have, you know, a Pikachu, for example, you're thinking, oh no, they're going to be, you know, weak to, uh, ground, but then maybe they switch it to fire or water and then they're not weak to ground anymore. So it's fun to see the different options. And I think what I like about it most in the multiplayer is it showed me how other people play, um, in a way that I haven't seen before. It shows you how other people play and especially it's cool because it offers an like a let's say a small um strategic sprinkle on top without breaking the entire game because definitely if if it was to be used too liberally then you would quickly get into the situation that you're basically just chasing each other's weaknesses and constantly switching out pokemon oh good but, point uh, yeah <laughs> yeah since it's it's restricted in some form and it has it ha that's what i like about it it has its clear function as you describe it within the overall battle system yeah without completely flipping it on its head It, it, yeah, you're so right. I didn't even think about that. If you could just do it liberally, it would be an endless cat and mouse game. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, <laughs> it really is. Um, it reminds me of like a, a trading card game where you can turn everything around with one draw. You know, it's, it's very, uh, it raises the stakes and it makes multiplayer fun. And I actually like to do it compared to Sword and Shield where I never really engaged with it because I could basically do everything on my own. Uh, this game though. Yeah. A lot of the post-game challenges, you need other people. Yeah, so you got the, the tough challenges that where you need to cooperatively fight an especially strong Pokemon. You can fight each other. You can mm -hmm. trade Pokemon, I assume. And you can just also like run around and explore together. Is it really like if we, the two of us were to log into the same game um, then or into the same session, then we could run around on technically on opposite ends of the world? Is that how it... How no, works? do you stay in a certain proximity? Or? It's a proximity, I think. There's like an invisible circle that comes up, the magic circle <laughs> that comes up. Yeah, and uh, you can't. At least I haven't tried that because everybody I've played with, we've all stuck around the same area. So I wonder if that's true. <laughs> I wonder if you yeah. can. I mean, I mean, I was just like curious uh, to test the hypothetical limitations of the multiplayer, um, but. So if I understand this correctly, then if I join your game mm. and I catch Pokemon in your game, then I take them with me afterwards as well. Yeah, and it says, uh, you know, caught, um, caught, I think it says like caught in this area with so-and-so. So it would say caught with, oh, that's caught with Dan, yeah. So it's, it's cool. And I think it's, uh, it, it also reinforces my idea of what the game is ultimately about, which is working together in a way that, as you said, Uh, Pokemon is kind of neoliberally minded in a very weird way where it's all pull yourself up by your bootstraps, kid. 
Um, but this one, I think it's smart to start at a school. And one of the other cool things about the school, there's no age limit. So you'll run into like an, a 50-year-old guy named Raphael the Student. So it's just... Oh, that's that's like when you do a new, a new bachelor's program at university. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> also... <laughs> uh, the adult learners. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a really, I think, smart evolution of Pokemon and something that is going to really pique my interest for future Pokemon stories. Because something that I didn't expect to feel when playing a Pokemon game was uh, camaraderie with people other than my... with characters other than my Pokemon, which is pretty unusual. Mm. Well, I find it very interesting, and I'm going to leave the last words uh, to you, of course. But before that, I just want to say, from everything I've gathered from this game so far, it seems so interesting in its theming. I love the descriptions that I've heard and the affection towards the new Pokemon. The systems all seem to be quite like working quite well. Uh, alas, I... I think for me, it feels like if they're putting out an annual Pokemon game, I'm not going to play them all anyway. So I'm going to jump on board when they reach a level that one can say we don't. it doesn't have any major drawbacks. And unfortunately, Scarlet and Violet seems to be generally a really good game that is so that is though significantly held back by its technical issues at least at the moment and my guess is for months to come it's not going to be super amazing it's going to be okay at yeah. some point maybe but okay is just not good enough then i'd rather wait uh, and soon enough they'll announce their next pokemon game you know yeah. and then when once it reaches once they put in the effort that's what I said at the beginning, I think. Once they put in the effort and the care that they expect me to put in as a player, uh, then I'm on board again. I think that's totally fair because what we said in our Arceus episode was that we hoped that Arceus would be the intermediate step to another great thing. Uh, we're not there yet. This is another intermediate step where I think it shines in the storytelling. It has really nice music. The Pokemon are great. Uh, but the world does not feel as cohesive as I'd like, and there's a lot of technical problems. So I think, I know we say this every time, but I think the next one has a lot of potential. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you're staying hopeful. I, I like am, your optimism. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, okay, shall we wrap it up at this point? Uh, because uh, we've got the spoiler part still that yes. will come after the outro of this episode, which is why... I'm going to say at this point, thank you so very much for listening to this show out there. Don't forget, if you want to let us know what kind of game you would like to see win the Game of the Year nomination at the Game Awards 2022, then please let us know at studyingpixels.com contact. And if you want to support the show, help us make it happen, then go to studyingpixels.com plus. Thank you so very much. And we'll talk again next week. Stick around for the spoiler part. It's in a few seconds. Ah, hey. Let's see whether anyone's still around for the spoiler part. Yes, the the very secret, very spooky. No, it's not. Well, no, maybe. Is it maybe spooky? it is, actually. Well, let's get into it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, one of the things that I did not mention that keen-eared listeners among you will have seen is that I did not talk about 
Professor Sada or Professor Turo, the two professor characters that are in Scarlet and Violet, respectively. Now, why wouldn't I do that? Well, it's because I can't talk about them without giving away the entire ending of the game. Okay, now I'm intrigued yeah. because I remember that we did some we had some speculation about the professors and about what their significance might be in the new games. Yes. So I will say they are the villain. They are the ultimate villain at the end of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. And they're not a mustache twirling kind of villain. They're a very pathetic in the Greek sense villain. So I talked about the converging storylines. So one of them the Path of the Titans, which is where you get the abilities for Koraidon or Miraidon, when you're working with Arvin, the son of the professor. The professor keeps calling you on your phone and says, hey, I noticed that you're, you're getting Koraidon back up to uh, perfect health. Thank you for doing that. Once you do that, we'll be able to continue my research. And there's this mysterious kind of story about how she or he, I'll say she because I played Scarlet first, Professor Sada wants you to get Koraidon back to perfect health so that you can go into the mysterious Area Zero and meet her there. So the game, all three stories finish. And Arvin says, all right, well, we've been doing all this work for my mom and the nerve of her. Like, she left me alone. I haven't seen her in years. She's been down in Area Zero. I went to Area Zero to find her, and that's how my Pokemon got hurt. So I, I have a lot of harsh feelings towards my mom, and now she's putting us on this errand to bring this stupid Pokemon back down to Area Zero, and I don't even know what she wants. So he says, I want you to help me go down there, but I need you to bring some other people so that we're safe. So in comes the four-player multiplayer where your three rivals... Nimona, Arvin, and Penny, they all come with you down into Area Zero. So you fly down there with Koridon, and as soon as you enter, this incredibly mystical choral music starts playing, and I, like I said, it, it looks and feels like Nier Automata. And you go down there, and Professor Sada comes on the phone and says, I'm in the deepest part of Area Zero, and I need you to find me but I, you can't find me until you've unlocked the lab that I'm in. You need to go to four different areas, four different um, research stations, and undo the lock that's protecting me in this, uh, this deep part of Area Zero. So you go to these different parts, and each station that you reach, Sada starts acting strangely. She starts stuttering, and she starts saying things like, uh, she starts repeating herself. And we come to find out that a terrible accident happened in Area Zero, where a dangerous Pokemon uh, destroyed the last station. So as you're exploring this Area Zero, depending on which game you're playing, you encounter either ancient Pokemon or future Pokemon that are these twisted uh, evolutions or primal versions of different Pokemon. So for example... There's a Jigglypuff that looks like a cavewoman <laughs> with big fangs and, uh, you know, big hair. There's a, um, a Dawnfan, an elephant-type Pokemon that in the future, for example, looks like a, a spherical robot. That's so interesting how you, uh, the way you set the mood now, it felt like kind mm. of tense and, and eerie and a bit creepy. 
and then suddenly you're telling me about a jigglypuff with like fun teeth and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's you know, that's Pokemon, that's Pokemon for, you. for you. Yeah. But they definitely feel out of place. And as you're going through the stations, you start realizing that what's in Area Zero is a machine that can pluck Pokemon from different times. And the professor has been doing this, bringing Pokemon, either from the past or the future, into Area Zero. And they're so dangerous because they're so powerful, they can't get out. Because danger would befall Paldea if that happened. So, in Station 4, you unlock the final lock and you see that it's been completely destroyed. So you go into the lab, and there, after a big fight with a lot of these ancient or future Pokemon, you see Professor Sada, a robot. She's a, an AI construct. And what we find out is that the real Professor Sada died in the Station 4 accident and uploaded her consciousness into this automaton that has been locked into Area Zero basically tied to this machine so that neither of them can be destroyed while the other one is around. Ah, classic move. Really, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So what we come to find out is that this AI, Sada, called you and Arvin to this place so that you could destroy the machine and put this all right. What's so interesting about this is that when you get to the final fight where you destroy the machine... The AI says, You're going to ha I'm going to have to shut down because I can't be around while this machine is being destroyed. You try to destroy it, and then she realizes, oh, it can't be destroyed unless I am because the real professor is fighting back against this. So Professor Sada, the real one who died, had this deranged dream to bring about all of these ancient Pokemon and sort of, you know, terraform Paldea into what it looked like thousands of years ago. She was going to destroy the world, basically. And she's so committed to her dream that the AI realized this and wants to stop her. But you have to fight this AI. And here's the craziest part about it and why I think Pokemon is so much smarter than it's pretending to be. <laughs> when you're fighting the AI... The AI says, I'm shutting down, and I don't know what's going to happen. And instead of the character name saying AI Sada, it changes to Professor Sada. So the professor is actually exerting their will onto this automaton and saying, how dare you try to destroy my dream? I won't allow it. You're, you, there's no way you can beat me. And so you have to fight. The hardest fight in the game is beating the mind of the professor in this body it's constructed. So here we are again, Stefan, at the end of Arceus with Volo being this vessel for why can't I be the one? Why can't I be the one who does this? Mm. And here is the next evolution of that, which is a husk that is fighting back against its creator because it doesn't want to go along with their dream because they recognize that it's dangerous. Everything is coming back to Kingdom Hearts, Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd wiggle Kingdom Hearts in there somehow. <laughs> but honestly, but, I'm, I'm impressed by what you're telling me because the thing is, um, yes, we spoke about how Arceus also has this kind of late game narrative exploration that is much more interesting than a lot of what comes before. And it seems that... So much more. It seems that they do this again. So 
I, I can't help but wonder, either they really allocated lots of resources when it comes to writing and narrative development to that part and said just like, okay, so leave the rest be, make it simple. Or this is actually becoming a conceptual decision to say, we want to have like an appealing, inviting, lighthearted, you know, Pokemon story that everyone can play and engage with. But for those that stick with it to the end, we want to give them an in-depth exploration of Pokemon lore and its key themes, such as past and future in this case. It comes back big time. So that really impresses me. Yeah, past and future, the the um, dangerous power of following your dreams to... I mean, here's the really touching thing is that the the AI version of Sada expresses to Arvin because Arvin Arvin's been laboring under the delusion that her mother has been that his mother's been alive this whole time and for years he thought that she just abandoned him but then there's this thing that you have to struggle with which is no she was awful she was a bad person and she abandoned Arvin for her dreams then she died and now she's trying to basically destroy the world to figure out to realize her dream. And it's the AI that's been in, in a conversation with your character and the other characters of the world that has its humanity and actually says at the end, you know, Arvin, for all her faults, I do know that she cared for you. And poor Arvin, like his last words are, oh, you have to say that now? So it's this really interesting, deep exploration of, you know, the effect that we have on each other, the... Uh, perils of following our dreams to these dangerous extents and what it means to form connections with other people in a way that means something. And I think you're right. I think that at this point, I would have to say that it is a conceptual, um, purposeful thing that they're doing where you can stop playing at the end of the three stories. It, it wraps up pretty nicely. Hmm. So if you don't want to go to Area Zero, there's a world where you can say, okay, I'm done with Pokemon. So it, it really is like this it almost feels like a DLC that wraps everything up in a, in a weird way. Now, let me ask you one last question here. Please. We spoke about this now from the perspective of Professor Sada. We spoke about it as uh, playing Pokemon Scarlet. How yes. Does this change to any significance in Pokemon Violet? It is, to me, more sinister <laughs> because uh, Professor Sada you can almost say is like a historian who is trying to bring a piece of history back into Paldea, right? And eventually her, um, her goal means the end of the world because these Pokemon shouldn't be there, right? They're called paradox Pokemon, I should mention, because they shouldn't be there. So Professor Turo, to me, is it feels more evil with him because he is bringing things from the future these powerful monsters that are like all robotic and lifeless and, you know, cold. And they're all coming in to basically invade Paldea. So generally speaking, it's the same idea, but his feels more deliberate <laughs> to me. <laughs> Whereas Sada feels more like she kind of fell into her own machine a little bit and got consumed by this passion. Turo seems a little more off the level to me. Wow. I mean, now I'm kind of conflicted because on the one hand, I'm really happy that I heard this spoiler since it means I don't necessarily have to play the games to be aware that there is such a, let's say, fully fleshed out and intricate uh, story where I totally get the Neo Automata reference where I thought at the beginning, yeah. what's going on what? now? <laughs> on the other hand, it's kind of sad because now I know already what's going to happen. 
but I honestly, I, I don't think I don't think I'm going to play it. So actually, I'm really glad that we stuck around to uh, to explore that that final part of it. Um, shall we wrap it up at this point? Yeah, I think honestly, what I'll end uh, the spoiler section with is uh, Pokemon. If there's anybody at the Pokemon Company, Onegaishimasu. If there's anybody listening to this, embrace your genius because the ends of Arceus and Scarlet and Violet are so smart and compelling. And I just wish that you wouldn't just allocate or, or um, uh, relegate them to the last hour and a half of your massive games. So really cool stuff. I want to see more of it. I know it's for kids, so maybe this is as much as I can hope for. All right. Thank you very much for sharing your review impressions, Dan. And thank you out there for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.